Welcome back to another edition of the Edge Podcast. Publisher Brendan Slaughter here for BeaversEdge.com. Joined by Beavers Edge writer and KGO radio host TJ Matthewson. We're back here with another edition of the Edge Podcast. Coming to you following Oregon State's 26-19 win over Colorado to improve to 7-2 overall. 4-2 and two in the Pac-12 and the Beavers return home after nearly a month off from uh, playing at Reister Stadium. The Beavers are back in the friendly confines this weekend for a uh, the first of a two-game homestand. Starting with the Stanford Cardinal, TJ and I will be breaking it all down uh, throughout the majority of this podcast. But uh, TJ, good to talk with you, my man. How you been, and uh, how's life treating you these days? It's been good. It's going to get be good to see you. So I know. Besides <laughs> the fact, a month between home games, it's also a month between a, a Beaver's Edge uh, reunion. A little <laughs> it's bit. True. It'll be nice it's to true. have a home game again. It's been you know middle of October was a while ago. That was. I was right before my vacation, and that's almost a month gone now too. So I'm, I'm keep thinking about that. So I know it it's going like to be good to it's going to be good to get back out to the stadium. It was nice to have a couple nights at home, sure. uh, a couple of late nights. I'll yeah, say it's a little bit a little bit easier to digest a road night game opposed to a home oh, night for game sh- for sure. For sure, but uh, it, it it it's worked out all right, and I'm looking forward to this weekend. It's it's been a good stretch though for for the Beavers. It certainly hasn't been uh, short of storylines. No, no doubt. And like you said, it's weird to think that UCLA game was the last home game. And it does like feel like just yesterday on one token. But then when you're like, it's been a month, it, it has been a minute. And it's like, yeah, I'm I'm excited to uh, chit chat with you this weekend at the press box and, you know, do our usual rounds. So it'll be fun for the, uh, the Beaver's Edge crew to uh, bring you guys coverage on Saturday. So make sure to stay tuned to uh, Beaver's Edge for that and catch uh, TJ, obviously, on uh, uh, KJO this weekend as well, so we'll both be uh, busy previewing the matchup in various different ways. But uh, yeah, TJ, let's go ahead and start talking about uh, the matchup uh, with Colorado. We obviously previewed it last week, had Nikki Edwards from our Colorado side on. A uh, big shout out to her for telling us about the buffs last week. And um, I think we kind of got what we knew about Colorado going into that game. There weren't really a whole lot of surprises from the buffs, in my opinion, in that matchup. Um, Big takeaways that I have from that game, just off the cuff. One, first thing, Oregon State's going to, like, again, style points clearly don't matter because Oregon State moved up in the college football playoff rankings. They're still being respected as the top two-loss team in the country. But, TJ, in my opinion, that coulda, woulda, shoulda been a blowout, and that should have been a much bigger score margin, in my opinion. Um, I think Oregon State left some meat on the bone in a big way. I mean, putting up 26 points. Um, you know, the yardage was about what Colorado allowed. It was a little less, surprisingly. Um, but that was a team I wouldn't have expected it'd be a struggle to score on. Um, I know everyone, you know, like the week prior when we were talking about Arizona and the fake or fake field goal, that was no good. Everyone, you know, had a comment and had some thoughts on the two-point conversion from Jonathan Smith that went over DJ's head. Um, and, you know, that was another one that got put under the microscope this week. You know, I, I have some thoughts on that, but you know, I, I don't, I don't think it's, uh, I, I don't think it's detrimental. Like, you know, for instance, the the fake field goal was, um, and then the fourth quarter defensive collapse, like again, TJ. That's two straight weeks now that the defense in the fourth quarter has just stumbled, struggled to stop a nosebleed, for the lack of better mm-hmm. terms. And you know, you were, you know, obviously talking to Trent Bray last week, you know following that the loss to Arizona he mentioned some possible you know fatigue and then we talked to Jonathan on Monday he had mentioned that you know uh, altitude didn't play a big factor but guys like Coop and you know some of the other Noble Thomas some of the uh, Isaac Hodgins guys that didn't get a full week of practice 
maybe were a little tired as the week went on. And obviously Colorado's receivers were making you keep a lot of DBs out there. Um, but yeah, those are kind of the things that stood out to me the most TJ. And obviously the one that's most concerning to me is that fourth quarter defense. I really do think that the offense maybe just for lack of better terms, played down to Colorado a little bit. Um, but that's two straight weeks where your defense has not looked good in the fourth quarter. What are your thoughts on that? And uh, what'd you see in the matchup teach? Overall, the defense did play well. It was probably a mix of Oregon State actually playing well on defense and also a mix of, I'm not sure what Dion was doing with John Lewis last week. I have no idea. I don't know why you, why you bother true. changing an offensive coordinator in the middle of the season. Regardless, that's not, that's not the point of this. That probably had some impact on it. They're a different play caller, uh, different. I don't know what else behind the scenes that wasn't reported publicly. It was also changed around in the offensive structure. The, the sure. Buffs offense was clearly off. They, they yeah. whether it be the the play of their offensive line, which has been bad all season, and the Beavers took advantage of it, like we said they should, and they absolutely did, uh, ruined pretty much most most of their offensive structure throughout the night. It was a lot of a lot of hero ball from Shadur Sanders, and whenever yeah. he had time to throw, he would do it. Um, but like overall, the defensive performance was was good enough. I can excuse one bad quarter for. Uh, if I'm going to look at it on the other side, when you said the Beavers should have scored more points, they absolutely should have. This Beaver pass game for the last two weeks has been absent. Like yeah. the, the top tier version of it, which they need, by the way, for <clears throat> they next do. week and the week after. They like they need that top tier passing game that we saw against Cal and then we saw against UCLA. It has been absent since the bye week. Uh, the the two road games, it right. has not been there. They they struggle to get DJ into rhythm early in the game. And I so said, like, just look at the first, first, like the first three drives, they go three and out, they fumble, Childs comes in, and then they fumble again. Right. Right. And there might've been another punt mixed in there. I don't remember exactly, but the first half stunk. Sure. Like yeah, for that, I mean, that offense, it was, it was bad. It was, it was a bad offensive yeah. half. And when, when the, when you could argue talent wise and looking at this roster that the offense is a better unit than the defense is like we should we should instead of looking at the defense that played very well for three quarters and gave up a couple late touchdowns that ended up not really mattering unless you gamble um opposed to your offense which you know should should be playing better than they are like they played yeah. they played and- did not play well enough against Arizona did not play well enough up to their standard against Colorado and a lot of it has to do with the passing game people were I'm sure there were people thrilled that they ran the ball 46 times against Colorado it probably still could have been better it wasn't an over the world rushing performance it was good no but it 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 wasn't it wasn't running for 350 yards on Colorado which would have been an amazing performance but the offense is really like the for the offense to hit its top tier it's not just running the football they got to pass it as well when when DJ's 12 of 24 again and and a little erratic and Again, not able to get into rhythm early in games really holds the team back. And, you know, it, if the offense put up 45 points, no one would have said a single word about the defense. Not a single yeah, word. Yeah, and, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I must say this. Obviously, I started with a criticism, but at the end of the day, you have to look at it somewhat dually because while the fourth quarter defense wasn't great, this was still an Oregon State defense that held Colorado to negative seven rushing yards. First time they yeah, held and, the opponent and, to negative rushing yards, TJ, since 07. So and, and you're facing an offense that averaged over 30 points a game and 400 yards of offense. Absolutely. Right? And they were and held significantly below both of those averages. So then what what level of concern on a scale of 1 to 10 do you put on the fourth quarter defense these last two weeks? Because 
against Arizona was we we documented that. Don't need to go over that again. But Colorado specifically, TJ, it really seemed like after that play where I think it, I don't think it was their very next drive. I believe it was the drive after where Colorado returned that fumbled snap and went all the way back, right, and took it back for two points. I believe it was the drive after, not the very next drive, but the drive after where they that was their first one of two soaring drives. And those two drives, everything started to come together for Colorado. So was that Oregon State thinking the game was over with it being – 20 was it 20 to 5 yeah 23 to 5 23 to 5 yes so at that point do you think Oregon State's defense was like it's over and that's why we saw that let up because it had been dominant you saw Easton Mascarenas flying all over the field you saw um the pass rush oh my goodness I, I have to I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that TJ they got after Shadur they hit Shadur. They made life really hard on Shadur. I think it was four or five sacks and then about the same tackles for loss. But either way, uh, guys were in the backfield. They were making plays. And, you know, Shadur came in a little banged up. And, you know, they they further banged him up, I think, a little bit and all that. But, you know, just what do you think changed? Because, like, last week we looked and we're like, wow, just a couple plays for Arizona's offense and that whole game flipped right? The fourth quarter just completely flipped. If Colorado had been more competent, could this game have gone a different way? Well, yeah. And if it, Colorado was more competent, the Beavers wouldn't have been favored by two touchdowns. But like, sure. that's not the case. Sure. Because sure. Colorado was not confident. I, I like my concern though for the defense and at, at specifically at the end of the game is like a three. Because do you know what I can also say for both of this? If I'm just going to go back to my point, what I've already iterated, like the offense in the fourth quarter of the Arizona game had two chances to go down and win the game. Two. Like to go down and either put yourself up 10 or put yourself ahead and eat up a ton of clock and force Arizona to make a play from behind. And you know what they didn't do? They didn't do that. Neither. They they did not do that. Not until the end of the game. Uh, And then in, in this game as well, right? Or like we could go to early on in the game where I say you know they didn't score enough they didn't get DJ in a rhythm right. enough like that that was it again if if, the, if they score like what they should have against Colorado which is at least forty points this is a non-story right like it is they miss, sure they missed some tackles yeah you, like we we figured this out they're not a good tackling team they're not like yeah. I don't know how that gets better down the stretch here when they're going to be true. facing two of the most talented teams in the country and two of the best and, offensive teams in the oh, country in the final ridiculous. two weeks of the season. Yeah, and it's ridiculous like, that's skill, hard. skill position players. So, like, we know tackle. what they are, right? So, when we see a good performance, it's like, okay, well, that was actually a positive sign. So, like, they will build on that, and they're going to play better at home on defense because that's where they play better on defense. Mm-hmm. Now it's like looking yep. at, okay, where should the true strength of this team be, which is their offense, and how do they get it back to an elite level? Because that's what's yeah. going to be the difference between them winning out and potentially going to the – Pac-12 championship game or just going right back to the Vegas Bowl. Right. And I think uh, we'll get into why I think they have a prime opportunity to do that against Stanford and the massive number of yards that the Cardinal have uh, allowed this season. Gotten a little better recently, but we'll definitely dive into to the Cardinal here momentarily. But uh, we talked about the defense, TJ, flipping gears to the offense. You mentioned Damian Martinez and, you know, they really made an emphasis getting him and Deshaun Fenwick involved. And then you talk about the fumbles from those guys that takes points off the board too. So I think there are a lot of factors at play um, in that particular, you know, game for why it ended up, you know, kind of being a bit of an ugly win, I would say of sorts. Um, But 
if there was an area of concern offensively, TJ, you mentioned the receiving game. Totally agree. It's kind of gone uh, quiet these last two weeks. Offensive line did probably the worst job protecting DJ all yeah. year. Yeah. Yeah, they were letting those blitzers get through pretty easily. Colorado, would, they, they knew they had to send extra guys to go get them, and it was very effective. And usually when you're sending extra guys, you know, you're throwing at the blitz. You're throwing to where the numbers right. are short. But when your passing game is inconsistent and scattered, that, like, you can get to the quarterback. And right. DJ, the problem against Arizona was him being too hesitant. I didn't think he was – overly hesitant against Colorado, but, you know, he did get hit a few times. And that's right. not supposed and to I happen think... with this group on the offensive line. Of course, Jake Levengood being out right. does not help. Right. Jake Levengood and, you know, Jonathan Smith mentioned on Monday, it's good to hear he's not out for the season, TJ. I know that was a worry when Jonathan really didn't say much last week, and then we obviously didn't see him, didn't get any updates. It's good to hear he's not out for the season, but based on what we heard during his press conference, I wouldn't expect him back this week. Um, again, you know, just – reading between the lines Jake Levengood obviously is a, a upperclassman guy so would he you know potentially try to play in what would be senior day next week potentially Maybe. potentially but so. again it's it's hard right you can't just be like hey I'm gonna play through injury it doesn't you know it doesn't quite work that way it really does I mean sometimes it does sometimes it doesn't TJ injuries are are are, are tricky and you know, obviously, like earlier this season, for example, you know, you had Jonathan Smith say, you know, like the I think it was the UCLA game when Jonathan Smith's like, yeah, Brian Cooper played through an injury. And then ho-hum two weeks later, he didn't play against Arizona. Right. So it's it's definitely the time of the year when those bumps and bruises are starting to hurt a lot more. Yeah. And, you know, health is an important factor. They could really use Jake Levin back. They could. And Tanner Miller's yeah. played well. He's played well. Grant Stark slid in there as well and, and played on the offensive line and but was was good. But there there have been some times this year where the line the, the pass projection especially has been a little shaky. A little well, shaky and, and it, it's it's it has thrown DJ off for sure. Yeah, and again, it was interesting this last week because not only was Levin good out, TJ, uh Hanoi Bloomfield also briefly yeah. exited with an injury. He only missed about five or six snaps, so Potentially nothing to worry about long term, but when he was out, Flavio Gonzalez got in and he played uh, at left guard. So, you know, it's interesting because coming into the year, TJ, we talked about the importance of Grant Stark kind of being that sixth man. We've seen him thrown in there when Levin Good's been banged up. I can't remember if there was a game that Fuaga missed or if there was a game that um, – I can't remember if there was a game anybody else, but I feel like he's kind of just – been put in various spots without looking at the participation chart right in front of me throughout this year. And I think he's been solid. Like this last week, he graded out analytics wise as a really good offensive lineman. I think he can help. The problem is, as you mentioned, when you insert and change that group that has been so cohesive, that's when things like communication that mean the difference between a sack or a blitz picked up and a blitz not picked up, you know, swapping those pieces, you're not quite as chemist. You don't have that same chemistry and cohesion that you have with that starting five that we saw all fall camp long. And if you talk to Jim Mahalchek, he'll tell you how how important that communication is. And sure is when it's not all the way there. Uh, you know, things can happen. It, it can be as simple as a pass protection that gets left behind that someone forgets about, and there's a free rusher in his face. Or it can be as something as simple as snapping the football, which was a big 
<laughs> big point of concern when that snap goes over DJ's head and gets returned for two on that uh, two-point conversion. I know you had something you wanted to, uh, to, to say about the analogy Jonathan used on Monday. Yeah. I, I got a good chuckle out of that. I thought it was good that, you know, Jonathan was able to break out a smile a little bit. He's very stoic most of the time, but when he actually yeah. gets a chance to, to smile a little bit, he, he talks like a man from experience sitting at the blackjack table. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. That was awesome. Uh, if, you know, I, I know TJ, this is Jonathan Smith. He, he can't do his weekend stuff without watching the edge podcast. So I, I know he watches each week. So got to make sure to say Jonathan, you know, obviously uh, shout out to you for making an awesome analogy, because after that, I kind of want to go sit at a table with you, my friend, but uh, nevertheless. So uh, he was asked about that play. And if he thought, he would tamper down the aggressiveness. And Jonathan said he likened it to being at a blackjack table. When you get dealt an 11, your dealer is showing six. And he's like, you're going to double down. You're going to double your money, baby. And, <laughs> you know, it was a great chuckle from the entire media room that was. And I think that's, uh, I don't know, like, it's just those little moments, like you said, TJ. We'll get into the analogy of a minute. Like, it's little moments like that that make me, like and I think hopefully all of you too watching at home. Jonathan Smith's not all that different than any of us, right? It it just it's that relatability. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, it is. Except I suck at blackjack, so. Oh, you're talking. I wouldn't, to a, I wouldn't have. You're known talking that. to a. You're talking to a good guy over here, TJ. All time winnings <laughs> are in the positive, my friend. Oh, <laughs> let's go. Let's go. Not I by much, that was, but I hey, it, I, I've I had thought, better luck. I thought the analogy he used, though, like it perfectly reflects his coaching style. Everything that he does, that everyone's like, oh, this is reckless. Oh, this is stupid. Why would you ever do something this aggressive? It's all a calculated risk. It's like playing blackjack. You know the odds are in your favor. You know that when the ball gets placed at the one-and-a-half-yard line, you have the best offensive line in the conference, one of the five best in the country. You have a 250-pound quarterback. So what defense exactly is stopping you from gaining one yard running forward? It's like the Philadelphia Eagles running the tush push play. They know, like they know it works and they, and Jonathan Smith knows if that ball gets snapped back to DJ, they get an extra point. So why aren't you doing it? I I don't, there was so much pushback from this. I don't like, I don't understand the ultimate anger from Jonathan going for two coaches in the NFL do this all the time. All the time. When, when, when there's a penalty on an extra point, okay, why not go for two? Like, if, if so, you are a good two-point team, why don't you go for two? And that's exactly what Jonathan is. Like, we have the personnel to go for two on the one-yard line whenever we want. So why wouldn't right. we pull that now, out if we have a chance to be aggressive? Sure. And ultimately, in his philosophy, does we just want to score as many points as possible. That's what that is. Agreed. And I agree with everything you just said for sure. And it, it's, it's, it's perfectly put. In defense of that, too, I would also say this, TJ, and at risk of – frustrating anyone that's maybe listening to this podcast i'm just going to ask a a very plain and simple question tj we can all sit here from the side and analyze right and can honestly in hindsight say you know does oregon state maybe have one less loss on their ledger with less aggression this year sure you could make that case and you could sell it to me and i would believe it but at the end of the day going back to what tj said about jonathan being to himself. TJ, any of those awesome Beaver fans, and I'm going to say awesome is what you all are awesome that were critical, that were, you know, maybe critical of that particular aggressiveness. 
Do any of them know football better than Jonathan Smith? That's why I said. I think Jonathan Smith is a top – oh, boy, this will be interesting. Let's just go conservatively and say a top 15, top 20 coach in America. Let's just go conservatively for now because I think he very much fits in that mix. And at the end of the day, coaches are going to make mistakes. They're human, right? We're seeing maybe the – we're maybe seeing the greatest coach in NFL history – can't win without the greatest quarterback in NFL history. So, you know, you, you things go up and down, right? Coaches make mistakes. And I'm not saying that it should just be blind with no, um, no one to answer to for Jonathan. But most times, TJ, like the majority of these moments this year, I've just kind of not been too critical of it because I look at it and go, Jonathan knows ball. He's a really good coach. He knows what it takes to win at Oregon State. And for those watching, listening, you should know that about five or six coaches in the history of Oregon State football have known how to win at this level at this program, maybe even less in the modern era. TJ, you know what I mean there. And I just think Oregon State fans got to be like, you know, Jonathan's our guy. We ride with him no matter what. You can maybe second-guess some decisions. But like you said, I saw a lot of criticism too these last two weeks with his aggression. And I'm kind of like, it's just his, it's his coaching. It's the same coaching aggressiveness that got you the win at Fresno State last year when fourth and two from the two or fourth and one or whatever it was, third and whatever it was, last play of the game. And you're like, nope, we're going for it. Jack Coletto's going to go in. If we don't get in, we're going to lose. But same thing. You were a yard, two yards, whatever it was, out. And you won that game. You lose to Fresno State last year, TJ. How much does that change your roller coaster of a season, right? So I just think this is Jonathan's character, Jonathan's nature. And, like, I I understand and totally respect people who want to say, you know, maybe you should have done this. But, like, the real strong opinions I've seen these last two weeks, I I just thought were a little unwarranted for somebody who – not to be dramatic, we'll probably have a statue built outside of Research Stadium one day. And I, I think it's also a little bit unfair to compare what he did against the Wildcats to what he did last week. Like what he totally. did, the fake field goal he said was the wrong call. He did. He, he, owned, it. he, owned, he it. owned it. He owned it. He said it. He said he was wrong. So it's like, okay, like what else? what else do you want to hear? Right. So that was reckless aggressiveness. He agreed that was reckless and that was that should not have been called. But the but like the two point conversion, again, I just think people people are like they are frustrated by the result of it because the worst possible case scenario, like something that has like less than a one percent chance of happening happened (laughs) and therefore should never that should never. Therefore, to some people, that should never happen again. It's just like that's a bad way, I think, to think about football. Because there are more scenarios and where that pays off for you than where it Agreed. does not. Now, and I'll say that TJ, I know when or I know one time in Oregon State's history that that play had happened for them in 2000. I don't know that in my lifetime that I remember watching Oregon State football. I don't think that play's ever happened against them. So it's you're right. Like you want to talk about rare? Like getting a safety is like three times as likely as that. Like it is so like it has to be the rarest play in college football. Yeah. So it does. And like in, in that scenario set up for it perfectly center snaps the ball over the head of the quarterback in the shotgun, like yep. on the one yard line of a two point play. That's like, that's the only so, way that happens. So, and I'll say this too, 
Shout out Tanner Miller. He's been a dude. He's had to move from right guard to center. TJ, how do you snap it over a guy who's six foot five? It's a good question. Like, I'm just saying, like, compared to, uh, you know, if you had a, a, a Russell Wilson back there, you know, six foot, 5'11", or whatnot, I could totally understand that. But for the most part, like, you know, I, I would think it's a little tougher to snap that over DJ's head. He's a big body, big target, and it went way over his head. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's a play that can be overanalyzed to an extent. But, you know, all that's to say, you know, it didn't cost Oregon State when it came down to it. So I think – my my opinion on it is I think Jonathan Smith is who he is. And, again, not joking, you talk about the fact that he's – the same way that Mike Riley took Oregon State out of 27, 28 – sorry, Beaver fans that are, helping, that are screaming through this YouTube at me right now – straight losing seasons in a row and helped escape that. TJ, I'm not sure how many coaches could have got Oregon State out of what Gary Anderson put them into. Yep. So, and now we've seen when he's had a roster full of players he can compete with over the last two seasons, he is 17 and five. Is that good enough? So, yeah. So, I, like I said, the, the man might have a statue one day. So, like I said, right now at least, I, I would encourage or- Oregon State fans to ride with Smith because there were a couple years ago when I think the idea of 10 games, let alone 10 games in back to back years, would have been foolhardy, to say the least. So I think you kind of have to stick with who you are as a coach. And I even go back to even Jonathan's first season in 2018, his second season in 2019, when they didn't make bowl games and they were not particularly great. There were still moments where they were aggressive then and it didn't pay off. So he's been this way his coaching career. I wouldn't put a whole lot of stock into like being concerned about that at all. And I, I think Oregon State fans are, for the most part, going to be very happy with what Jonathan Smith delivers on a week-in, week-out basis. And I think they're going to be happy with the results this weekend, TJ, because unlike last year, when these plucky, pesky Stanford trees nearly gave Oregon State the upset of the year and needed the Trey Sean miracle, I need to get my Mike Parker voice out for the miracle that was uh, down there in Palo Alto last year, there's not going to be those fireworks this year. If this game no. was on the road, I would say, uh, like, you know, Oregon State might well, need to be careful. Yes, might need to be careful because this team is way more competent than Colorado. But Oregon State has lost to Caleb Williams at home in the last three years, including this year, so last two plus this year. And this Stanford team, as improving as they are, I feel very confident saying they're not going to come into Reese Stadium and pull off that upset, even with Oregon State maybe looking ahead to Washington. It's funny we mentioned that their Oregon State fans would be more nervous playing on the road, and they would. I'd be honestly like the the, the spread would still be like two touchdowns if they played down in Palo Alto, but I, like I would not be comfortable if I was an Oregon State fan. DJ, do, you remember, on the road. do you remember that game? But Stanford was actually, terrible last year. I know. They were well, terrible Stanford, last yeah, year. they're terrible last year, and they're probably going to finish with about the same record this year. I think they'll they might they'll probably also end up finishing three and nine this year, give or take. So we'll 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 see on that. Um, yeah, they play Notre Dame to finish the season. So as long if Cal beats yep. them, then they'll be three and nine, given the Beavers win this weekend. But Stanford's actually a better road team this year than their home. They actually they are gonna have, have a winning record on the road, believe it or not. not. That's kinda it's kinda wild to think about. Troy Taylor really has done like for where the program is and what he has to deal with. It's not like Stanford lacks resources, judging right. they don't. the amount of cash that you know the university itself has. But in terms Second of earth. building a college football program, like 
the NIL is mostly what I'm concerned about. And he can't, he can, they can't accept transfers because of Stanford, right. because of the academic prowess of Stanford. You, like it just makes his job a lot harder, but he's still done such a nice job turning that program around. I mean, his defense been awful all season long and they right. go into Pullman and they allow seven points to Washington state and they win 10 to seven well, and something that looks like a, like a Jim Harbaugh, David Shaw era I mean, Stanford team playing I mean, nitty gritty defense. Yeah, apparently, TJ, it's not hard to beat Washington State now. So, apparently, yeah. it was only hard with one. They're the or, worst team in the conference th- now. So, oh, oh, uh, a, a, a Pac-12 Beaver's Edge power ranking tease, TJ? Are, 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 yeah, are we... <laughs> yeah. If you read the final line of my uh, of my power rankings last week, you would have seen the uh, what I they did? were playing for on the Palouse last week. Yep. So, yep. you oh, yeah. sneak oh, yeah. to oh, yeah. the power was... rankings that come out on Thursday. Yeah, so. I said it. It, TJ's going to have a new shakeup. And for, man, if Washington State truly does finish last in the conference, that's going to be a game that Oregon State looks at. Because, you know, Arizona, that loss is going to get better these next few weeks. Yeah. I promise you that. Washington State is just getting worse and worse. But quick little appreciation for Troy Taylor, TJ. I've loved Troy Taylor for a very long time. And I should say this as just he came onto my radar in – because he was, um, um, he had been Jake Browning's high school coach growing up. Oh, I didn't right? know that. So he was Jake Browning's coach. And then I believe there was a bit of a gap. Like when Browning was done, he took, I think, a year off or maybe something like that. Long story short, after that, he emerges as the offensive coordinator at Eastern Washington. The year they have Gage Gubard, Cooper Cup, Kendrick Bourne. And are just lighting the world on fire, right? He parlays that into offensive coordinator and quarterbacks for Utah for a couple of years. Goes and plays with Utah. I, you know, Utah didn't win the Pac-12 championship in 17-18 when he was there. But again, very step up for him after being at the FCS level. Then he goes and just crushes everybody at Sacramento State. Like literally turns that Hornets program into a dominant team. And I think if I'm not yeah, so when he left Sacramento State last year, TJ, they went 12-1. and one. Yeah, and, and they beat Stanford this year. <laughs> they did. That was a, So he that tells me he can recruit, and he's got an offensive system. And again, you know, could his, you know, I, I think, I'll put it this way, TJ. I think you and I could call offense if we had Cooper Cup to throw to, four or five, or yeah. well, more than that now. Uh, seven years ago, Cooper Cup was a lot younger seven years ago, man. And, um, you know, if you could throw to him on most plays, I think you'd, you know, develop a good offense. But he's, you know, um, smart, he's creative, and Stanford's going to throw some offensive wrinkles at you. Compared to what TJ mentioned, the David Shaw old-school Stanford, that's not what you're going to expect to see this year. They are different, and Stanford's defense – is their weakness. They're allowing, I believe, uh, 440 yards per game, so very much like Colorado. This seems like a get-right game for Oregon State, TJ. But offensively, you're going to get much more of a spread attack. Stanford had been line up the 10 tight ends, and we're going to run it down your throat with no receivers on the edge. So that's a big shift in offensive personnel for them. As you mentioned, their recruiting process is going to be slow. I imagine this will be a multi-year rebuild for Troy Taylor. But just for those who are keenly interested, keep an eye for Troy Taylor. He's going to have the Stanford Cardinal competitive in the ACC. I promise you that. Yeah, he's a, he's a really good coach. Um, regard, 
coming around to say what I think I want to see for Oregon State this weekend is is a little bit off of what my analysis the last two weeks have been is like this needs to be like a get right passing game for them. Like the it offense does. needs to find the passing game again. You don't want to find your passing game against Michael Penix. You don't want to find your <laughs> passing game against Bo Nix. Like this is it. Wait, you don't? You're in the you confines. Don't? You're in the confines of home. Uh, the Beavers have played very good offensive football at home this season, and like now's the time to see it. Now's the time to see that performance this offense put against that UCLA defense, which is just eating folks alive, except Arizona last week. Um, but like that, we know what this offense can do. And this is definitely the defense to do it against. Again, they're not good against the run. They're not good against the pass. They're undermanned. Like Troy Taylor will recruit some guys to come play defense sure. for them. I don't like Stanford doesn't have a recruiting issue per se, more of a, again, just a paying issue per se, but this isn't the year for that. This is the year where Oregon state is for the, for last time and how, who knows how long will can end, uh, end uh, their series with Stanford or pause it with a three-game win streak and a win at Reeser. So answer me this, TJ. What's your level of – obviously, like we said, we mentioned, I have no concern for Oregon State playing at home. I really – you know, even with Washington this next week, and we've talked about it on the damn board all year, and I've been very transparent. Barring an upset this weekend, I'm probably picking Oregon State next week because I feel that confident about how well they play at home. It took – now, again, it took a Heisman Trophy winner last year to beat the Beavers. Will it take one this year? I'm not saying that can't happen, but that's the kind of performance that needs to happen to beat Oregon State on their best day at home. And who knows? Anything can happen. But TJ, you mentioned it. The Stanford team, they're two straight winners on the road. Massive comeback against Colorado almost a month ago now. And uh, I believe it was the seventh biggest comeback in conference history. They were trailing 29 to 0 come back and win that bad boy 46-43 in double OT. Uh, I think Dion's still licking their wounds from that one. Um, then come home, get blasted by UCLA, stay at home, give Washington a game. And TJ, I can't remember if, if you were on – You might that might have been your vacation week, uh, but I remember watching that game instinctually – No, that wasn't. Okay, so watching that game instinctually close, and I was like – oh my gosh, Stanford has a chance. Like, they had a chance to beat Washington. Then, go on the road this last week, and as you said, go up to the Palouse, which TJ and I thought that was a tough place to play earlier in the year, and hold Cam Ward in that offense to seven points and win 10-7. to seven. What do you make of the Stanford team? Is it just, yeah, like, I, I can't put my finger on them. I think Oregon State's going to win, but I can't put my finger on what this team has been. Are they the team that got beat 42-7 UCLA, 42-6 by Oregon, or the team that beat Washington State 10-7, a common opponent between these Beavers and these Cardinals? When I guess when I look at it that sense, I'd say when teams attack Stanford like are, are a little bit more balanced, it's a little tougher because Oregon was pretty balanced in their offensive yep. attack against Stanford. Score got ran up. UCLA, a very balanced team as well. That was a game Ethan yep. Garber started, but they also ran for over 200 yards. Right. Stanford had no answer for that one as well. And then USC at the beginning of the year, an, another just – they throttled them down they there did. at the Coliseum. That was nasty. That was nasty. And, it, like, that's a – I would say a, not a total correlation, but, you know, there have been some some offenses that have put up a ton of points against Stanford. I think that's what it is. And 
For Washington, there was some bad turnover luck as well, and we know the Huskies' defense is not great, especially not playing on the road. So it it makes sense that a a team turning the corner a little bit would score some points on them. But overall, I mean, I I, yeah, I don't see how this game's competitive. I don't like. Yeah, it will be interesting. Not only are the Beavers not here's one last stat for you. Not only are the Beavers fifteen and one in the last three seasons at Reeser, but they have covered the spread by an average of more than nine and a half points at home. Nine and a half points more than what Vegas thinks. So with that, TJ, as we close up this awesome edition of the podcast, again, thanks to everyone for uh, tuning in. It's been a great chit-chat with TJ and I. Um, With that, are you taking the points in this one? Oregon State, 21-point favorite, 54-and-a-half-point over-under in this one. I think I'm hammering Oregon State, and I think I'm hammering the Uh, over, TJ. I would take 21. I would take 21. It's supposed to be dry on Saturday, which is key. Um, and like you said, I think a balanced attack, I just don't, I don't know. I, 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 I just don't see Stanford being able to put up the kind of points they put up against Colorado or Washington. But then again, them putting up 33 on Washington. I know we, okay, let me ask you this, TJ, to close out objectively. Do you take Oregon State's defense or Washington's defense on a neutral field right now against each other? Right? Probably Oregon State's. Okay. Probably Oregon so, State's, but I mean, right? Okay. So not, that, performance that's, wise, neither has given much to uh, much to fawn over. So that's where I think this conversation becomes interesting. But at the end of the day, it's two weeks before Senior Day. I know there could be a, a thought that the Beavers are going to overlook Stanford and you know but look ahead to Washington. That would be understandable. You know, it's only human. We've all done it. Who who on this podcast hasn't looked ahead and went? Well, that Washington game is 4.30, probably going to be college game day. So if we're doing it, folks, guarantee you everyone else is doing it too. But I do think all that aside, Oregon State will take care of business, TJ. I like them to win at home. And it would just, you know, I'm not saying things can't happen, but it would be shocking and surprising to me if that second loss in two and a half years came to a team like Stanford. I agree. So with all that being said, uh, TJ and I definitely like the Beavers in this matchup. Uh, make sure to tune in to our predictions later in the week as TJ, uh, Dylan Calhan Crowley, and uh, Ryan Harlan will all be given our uh, projections. And then we also mentioned our Pac-12 power rankings. We've got the injury report coming up later this week. Uh, statistical comparison, you name it. We're going to have a ton of, com- a ton of uh, content leading into this matchup. So definitely make sure to stay tuned to the Edge podcast and everything over at beaversedge.com from TJ, Dylan, Ryan, and myself. And TJ, uh, excited to see you this weekend down at Research. Excited to get back to uh, Corvo. And uh, thanks for joining me uh, on this uh, edition of the pod, man. Looking forward to seeing you this weekend and uh, obviously uh, talking. Yeah, always, buddy. I will, uh, I'll see you at the stadium. Sounds like a plan, man. And uh, definitely, as always, if you see TJ at the stadium, say what's up say beaversedge.com we love to see you guys uh thanks for tuning in to this edition of the edge podcast we'll be back next week uh breaking down the game versus stanford looking ahead to washington 4 30 abc